Father, we thank you that we can be in this place today. It becomes a habitation of your presence because where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're here. Thank you, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And no matter what's happened throughout the week, we can come today to be in this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. And know your faithfulness towards us. Know your smile is upon us. Lord, we thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, no matter what's happened this week, Lord, we thank you that we can be in this place. We thank you that we can be in this place and lift hands that have become holy because of the blood of Jesus. Lift minds that are focused on you because of the blood of Jesus. So again, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you afresh. Have your way. Speak to us this day. Lord, we desire to go out of this place different. We desire to go out of this place having had an encounter with you. Lord, where you've spoken into our hearts, into our minds, that cause us to have a spring in our step that we might go out and be someone who's going to impact this world for Jesus because you've impacted us. And so, Father, we stand before your throne of grace this day and again surrender and again say, have your way and again say, Lord, we are yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. You may have a seat. Thank you. Hey, thank you, team. That was fantastic. Excellent. Hey, it's wonderful to be with you today, again. I was here last week, for those that uh, were here will remember that. But this week, I have a voice. Which is just as well, actually, because I'm supposed to be speaking, so, which is cool. But if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And uh, whilst you're doing that, I'd like to tell you that in uh, in 1886, the inventor of the automobile, a chap by the name of Karl Benz, first drove his car through the streets of Munich in Germany. And he named his car after his daughter, Mercedes. And the machine angered the citizens because it was noisy, scattered the horses, and the children were scared and went running. So pressured by the citizens of the town, the, um, the local officials immediately established a speed limit for horseless carriages of 3.5 miles an hour in the city limits and 7 miles an hour outside the confines of the city. Now, Carl Benz knew he could never develop a market for his automobile to compete with horses like that if he had to creep along at that sort of speed. So he invited the mayor of the city for a ride. The mayor gladly accepted, and so he jumped in the car with Carl Benz. And Carl Benz had arranged for the milkman to park his horse and wagon on a certain street. And when he drove by for the milkman to whip up his horse with the wagon of the milk cart, etc., etc., and to pass Carl Benz in his car and then to blow a raspberry at him as he went by to the mayor. Well, as you can imagine, the plan worked. The mayor was furious and demanded that Carl Benz speed up, overtake the milkman. And, of course, Benz said, I'm sorry, but I cannot do that. The ridiculous speed limit means that I cannot go faster than what we currently are doing. Soon after that, as you can imagine, the law was changed. And the rest is history. Our lives have changed as a result. Aren't we so reliant on the automobile? And aren't you glad we don't do more than 3.5 miles an hour? And we do do more than 3.5 miles an hour. It's great. Okay, here we go. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope in what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard of the truth of the good news. 
The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love you have for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please God. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow as you learn to know God better and better. If you were here two or three weeks ago, you'll recall that David uh, read from this passage of scripture when he spoke about knowing God. And Julia last week when she spoke about loving people. David referred to the fact that we are one church in two locations. And he asked, what does that mean? And you may recall he said it had nothing to do with the building or the seats or the tea or the coffee or the songs we sing or even the preacher. Not about the what we do or how we do it. It's the, not the who, the where or the when, but it's the why. It is the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? We have a common goal. The same mission, the Great Commission, that is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We are out to make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. That's what motivates us. That's what spurs us on. And that's what energizes us. And Colossians chapter 1 highlights the power of the good news. It changes lives. Listen to verse 6 again. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard about and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The truth is that as we walk out our lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we reflect the good news, what, well, what's the good news? The good news is God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the good news, that Jesus made a way for us to come to the Father. And as we live out our life in the good news, as we reflect the good news, as people see the good news in us, as they see Jesus, their hearts will melt. Lives will change as a result of that. And that's the mission of Life Church. And it's that which makes us the same here at Selwyn as the folk that are meeting in La Vida this morning. And as a church, there are three primary elements to our mission. And you can see them on the screen here. If you sit at slightly elevated, see it. You see, knowing God, loving people, changing lives. Knowing God, loving people, changing lives. And this passage of Colossians exemplifies this perfectly. The church here, Colossae, knew God. And they were growing in their relationship with him. They loved people. And that love came from a confident hope they had in him. And they saw that as a result of that, lives being changed. And that's what we want to see too. Lives changed. And that's what the good news does. It changes lives. Think about Simon Peter for a minute, who said when Jesus first stepped into his boat, when he wanted to preach, and uh, he stepped into his boat, Jesus, Peter said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. To the point that two or three years later, he stands up in front of a large crowd and says, hey, this man that you crucified is Lord and King. Think of um, Saul, who would, who would uh, persecute the church, the early church. Just a matter of time later, having had an encounter, what happens? He's then proclaiming Jesus as Lord and King. Think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who would come to Jesus in the, 
in the darkness of night so that others would not see him. Religious leaders would not see him for fear of man. What did he do? He came to Jesus and Jesus gave that incredible verse I quoted before. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And Nicodemus asked, how can a man enter his mother's womb again? There's that massive exchange to the point where Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, would go to the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, and ask for the body of Christ, having been crucified, that he might bury it with dignity and with the respect that it's required. Think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the guy that you know, wants, is so short, wants to see Jesus, runs and hides in a tree. Oh, sorry, climbs a tree in order to be able to see, see the Lord and who would uh, squander all his money and, and rip off his own fellow citizens because he was a Jew himself to the point where ultimately he would then give a huge portion of his income away. What changed? What changed those individuals? They met Jesus. They had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus was part... It, it, quiet in here. The gospel has the power to literally turn people's lives upside down. And that's what repentance does. Repentance is our response to the gospel. It's our response to the goodness of God. It's our response. And it's a, repentance is a change of mind that results in an outward turning around and heading off in another direction. I might have acted like this. Now, because of repenting, I'm going this way. I might have done these things. Now, I'm going and doing those things. That's what ha- completely turns us around. Whereas once we might have lived in selfishness and, and greed and lying and lust and all sorts of wicked behavior, now we are selfless. We are generous. We are truthful. We are loving. Life change and transformation begin at the cross. And in fact, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, encourages us as followers of Christ to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And this is what comes about as a result of change. And because of that, it comes from the inside. It's not external behaviors I have to do. It's something on the inside that grows out of me. If it's external behaviors, that's, that's a works orientation, and that can result in pride. But it flows out of me naturally. That's, a, that's what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus. It changes on the inside, just like an apple tree produces apples and a pear tree produces pears. Someone who has had an encounter with Jesus and their life has changed, naturally fruit will grow from their life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, self-control. It will flow out of our lives. Over 30 years ago, the founding pastors of Life Church, Paul and Jill Bennett, felt the Lord give them this verse from John chapter 15. You did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's a hugely encouraging promise that is ongoing and continuing to produce fruit some 30 years later in keeping with repentance, in keeping with those whose lives have been changed. And Jesus is still calling people today to repent. He started his ministry by saying that in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark 1. He called people to repent. And today he's commissioned his church to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only way to the Father, who is the door to heaven. Julia shared last week um, about our mission partners at Life Church, who have left the comfort of New Zealand and are living in South Sudan and, and Ethiopia and, um, and Laos, and who, who's, whose hearts are to see another culture, another people group come to an understanding of what Jesus has done, to see their lives change so that they in turn can know what it is to have eternity secure in heaven and for the generations to come to be impacted by what they do. And we all have a role to play in sharing the good news. We don't even need to go overseas. You know, the, the, the pathway book, which we've talked about a lot, you know, such a huge blessing to us because it does exactly that. It opens up conversations. And in fact, it'll even put words in your mouth if you sit down with someone who's interested in the claims of Christ. You can read the book with them. So it's actually putting words literally into your mouth as you're discussing with the things that Jesus has done. 
everything from God's design to the potential that we have in him. You see, we aren't called to be a church that does mission. We're a church that is on mission. We're called to be a church on mission. Those are the words that the, uh, our senior pastor, Carl Crocker, felt the Lord drop into his spirit. That we're a church on mission, not one that does mission. See, if it's, there's a huge difference. If we just do mission, then that's just another program we can do. It's a, it can't, we can take it or leave it type thing. You know, I'll stick to loving God and I'll stick to, to um, you know, loving people, but I'll leave the changing of lives and the, the mission thing to the, the passionate ones, to the evangelists. No, no, it's for all of us. We're a church on mission. We are a church on mission. We're all called to play a part in changing lives. That's what it means to be a part of that. A church commissioned to tell others about Jesus. We are to be missional. When we get in here, we won't want to remain in our seat. We want to get up and tell others about it. We won't want to remain seated. It'll no longer be about the seating capacity of a building or the number of people in attendance. It's about the sending capacity and the number of folk prepared to get up out of their seat and tell someone about Jesus tomorrow. You see, we need to not make sure we don't buy into the, the lie that the good news, while it's boring and irrelevant, was fine for back then, but today, you know, we, we, we can walk on the moon. We don't need that anymore, you know. Um, Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 16 is as true today as it was when Paul the Apostle first wrote it 2,000 years ago when he said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's for everyone. The gospel is as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago to save and to change lives. And we are ambassadors of that message. We are not commandos, ambassadors. And ambassadors, not commandos with face darkened and stealth around. Maybe there's an opportunity. No, no. We are ambassadors. So we represent it with passion and with a, 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 just a real heart for and a knowing and a belief in all that we stand for. You know, I think it would do us all good just to stop for a moment and think about our own lives and how the good news has impacted us, how it's changed our lives. The truth is, without the gospel, some of us would have been in real trouble with the law, even in prison. Some of us would be in massive financial hardship. Some of us in relationship just mess everywhere if it wasn't for the gospel and the impact it's had on our lives. When you think about, whoa. Because the gospel impacted us and the changes that have come, we've made wiser decisions, we've made choices that have set us on the right path, we've, we've, you know, we've, we've produced fruit in keeping with righteousness. And he has freed us from condemnation and judgment and set us in a kingdom of light and a kingdom of love and a kingdom of mercy and a kingdom of grace and a kingdom of forgiveness. And not that any of us are worthy of that, it's just his grace poured out on us. And realizing that again is a good thing, that we are products of mercy and grace. It's indeed good news. And worthy of being shared with others, not holding back. But one of the biggest problems we face in sharing the good news is what the Bible refers to as the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know, it ensnares us. It causes us to feel trapped, uh, tied to a position of concern about what others will think if I share the good news or how they will treat us. If I share the good news, it holds us a prisoner. Before I went to Bible school, I had a job in the corporate world. Where I had a particular boss who was very austere. He was a gruff individual who did not suffer fools and thought nothing of taking you down a peg or two in front of your colleagues. So you learned to be very careful what you said in front of him. 
And after the Christmas break, I went to work, and we were operating on what was referred to as a skeleton staff, very few people in the office. So there was no one around, really. And he called me into his office to help with a particular task. And so I went in there and sort of gulped, what have I done? It was that kind of thing, but you know, it was fine. And he said to me, he asked me this, what did you do for Christmas? And um, sadly, I didn't mention church. I could have easily have said, you know, we went to church and then had family things and concentrate, but mentioned church, but I did not. I did not do it. The fear of man gripped me, gripped my heart and my throat. And unbeknown to me, at the staff Christmas function, a couple of weeks earlier, he had asked a staff member and quoted something that he had said. Someone once said, the truth will set you free. And this staff member was a Christian and said to them, oh, you know, it was Jesus who said that. Jesus, well, if Jesus said that, then he was a very wise man and worthy of thinking about what he then or two weeks later, I'm in a position where I could easily talk about church. Could have been the next step in the link in the chain with him coming to know something more. He was on a journey, a hunger. He had a hunger. But I didn't say a thing. I didn't say a thing. And I felt I've been out of his office feeling guilty and denied Jesus. And I'm going to go to hell now and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you beat yourself up. But, you know, the sad thing about this story, really the sad thing about it, is a couple of days later, he had an aneurysm and collapsed in front of me and a number of other people that were working with him. And um, he died a matter of a week or two later. My prayer, that haunts me, but my prayer is that someone, a nurse or a doctor or someone had opportunity, that the Lord would have spoken into his life, given him an opportunity to hear the truth of Jesus. Fear of man ensnares us, ensnares us. I didn't use that opportunity and I had it. In Revelation 12, 11 says this, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even so much as to shrink from death. And that's what it's to be like. Knowing the blood of Jesus has overcome the enemy and is using his, the use of his word and the, the sharing of the impact the gospel has had on our lives with others to impact their lives to the point where even it might even cost our lives. Now, it probably won't cost our lives, but Jesus gave everything for us, so we should expect that when I'm going to share with someone, well, there might be a bit of a bit of a flat comes back at me, but gosh, man, up, Paul, for crying out loud. You know, the Bible encourages us to put on the full armor of God. You know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> the shoes of the gospel of peace. Why the shoes of the gospel of peace? Why not the uh, shin protectors of the gospel of peace or the shoulder pads of the gospel or even the dagger of the gospel of peace? Why the shoes of the gospel of peace? Similarly, why does the Bible tell us in Isaiah 52 and Romans 10 how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of, the feet of them that bring good news? Why the feet? of them that bring good news. Why not the, the mouth that proclaims the gospel or the good news or the mind that is able to communicate the good news? Why the feet of them that bring good news? Well, it's our feet that position us. Our feet take us places. We walk in our shoes and they position us to be able to proclaim the good news with whoever our feet will take us to or our shoes would walk us to. And as we walk out our faith, there needs to be a readiness to share the gospel with whoever our walk would bring us across. You know, the... I believe, therefore, praying each day that the Lord would lead us to where he'd want us to go and to be prepared to share is important. A number of years ago, I read about a pastor who boarded an airplane and was seated next to a well-dressed business person, businessman. This pastor was only dressed in a tracksuit, looking pretty, really casual in actual fact. 
and um, they initially shared a few pleasantries as they were sitting on the plane before takeoff. But after the plane took off, the well-dressed businessman asked the pastor what he did for a living, having looked at his tracksuit and everything else. And rather than saying that he was a pastor, he just simply said, I'm into personality reformation. And the businessman was intrigued and asked what that involved. And the pastor responded that there was a guide that people use. And along with interactive connections, personalities modify according to a prescribed set of outcomes. The businessman was again intrigued and asked if the business was big. And the pastor said, well, yes, you could argue it was big. We have offices in every country of the world. Really, replied the businessman, every country. And you could see he was starting to search his mind through the Fortune 500 companies he was aware of, wondering why he hadn't heard of this particular company. That must make a, uh, take a huge amount of personnel and structure to keep in place. How's it run? He asked the pastor. The pastor said, well, it's really run like a family. Family, the businessman exclaimed, wondering how something so big could operate like a family and not have morphed into a, a corporate of some sort. Yes, it's really a father-son affair, the pastor said. Well, the businessman explained, father-son affair? I mean, something like that surely has to have some sort of substantial infrastructure associated with it you know, to keep it going. And the pastor replied, well, there's a spirit that pervades the entire organization that helps things flow and consistency maintained, resulting in the transformation of people's personalities. And about this point, the light started to dawn on the businessman, and he said, hey, wait a minute. You're talking about the church. And he said, that's right. You got me, he said. We've got to be prepared to share at any time. And sometimes, sometimes it pays to be creative in the way we do do that in order to keep our audience. It reminds me of another pastor who um, spoke in our church numbers of years ago, and he told the story that on a Monday he was having his hair cut, which was a day off. And he really did, he speaks all weekend. The last thing he wants to do is talk on Monday. Just cut my hair. I'll zip the lip you cut, you know. But the Lord had other ideas. The hairdresser asked him what he did on a Monday to have, oh, at least did through the week to have Monday off. You know, everyone wants Monday off. How come she wasn't? She was cutting his hair and he was sitting there enjoying it. And um, rather than saying he's a pastor, he said he was into psychic phenomena and the paranormal. The whole salon was silent and he had an audience. That's not to say that it's only up to pastors to share. Yeah, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 that you, sh you, you shall receive power from on high and be my witnesses. We all shall receive power from on high and be my witnesses. And P Timothy tells, uh, see, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. All of us are to do the work of an evangelist, not just the evangelist, but all of us are to do the work of the evangelist. Let's not be like Arctic rivers frozen at the mouth. It's true that... Um, We not only have a role in sharing the good news, but we also have a part to play in helping others see how that can change. Think of Lazarus in John chapter 11. He was dead for four days and had been entombed, having been wrapped in grave clothes. And uh, he was treated with spices and ointments to combat the smell of death. When Jesus raised him back to the life, he called Lazarus, come forth. You understand why he called Lazarus, specifically called Lazarus? Because here's the creator of all life standing before a tomb of dead people. If he had just said, come forth, there'd be mayhem at the entrance of the tomb. Because all of them would have come to life. So he says, Lazarus, specifically, come forth. And what does he do then? He then says to the people around him, help him. Take the grave clothes from him. And that's what I'm getting to. We have a role to play in helping people take off their grave clothes of their old life. So that the smell of the old, the smell of death may be removed completely as they embrace the new life that Jesus Christ has given them. So life change begins at the cross and encountering Jesus and continues within the context of the church and community of believers. The Lord will use us to bring about change in other people's lives through wise counsel, prayer, encouragement, instruction, etc. 
Hebrews chapter 10 says this in verse 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Church is about lives touching lives. The influence of others on our lives is immense. We can't do life in God on our own in isolation. We need others, and that's where life groups are so important. You know, connecting together, walking in life together. One another encouraging each other in, both in prayer and, and ministry, but also practically as well. You know, spurring one another on and encouraging each other to faith and good deeds. Just knowing that others love us and care for us puts a spring in our step. You know, sharing with them our struggles and knowing that they're praying for us whenever we're going through something really helps us. Really, really helps us. The vision statement of our church, knowing God, loving people, changing lives, is a great place to start with spurring one another on. Hosea 6 encourages us not only just to know, but to press in to know the Lord. So it's one thing to know him, but then to press in. There's an ongoing understanding and, and an ongoing understanding of his, the knowledge that we need to have of him, the love we have for him. And we can help each other do that as we share with each other the things that God has shown us. And he's shown us that I share that with you. You get encouraged and man, you grow in your faith and love for him as well. And our love for others grows in the context of community and in the context of church. Lives will change as a result of having a growing understanding of him and knowing him better as we love one another unconditionally. You know, the Life Keys programs that we run as well here at church, such as Valiant Man and Search for Life and Making Marriage Better and Parenting with Courage, etc., they work on a similar dynamic of having teaching and then unpacking that in a confidential environment of a small group consisting of like-minded people on a journey to finding God's fullness for themselves, realizing their potential. And as people share in a small group, love grows as it does when people are vulnerable with one another. Can't help but uh, change in that environment. Many, many testimonies of how that has happened. You know, uh, um, Carl mentioned last week at, uh, at La Vida that you can't pray your way out of something you've behaved your way into. You can't pray your way out of something you've behaved your way into. And that's why we need the process of small group interaction and the unpacking of things with others in order for the healing process to flow. And it's understanding the process helps us to avoid similar behaviors in the future. So in the context of the church, preaching of the word, mutual encouragement, and spurring one another on to faith and good deeds, the presence of the Holy Spirit will bring about change. Now, I don't know about you, but there's no greater cause than the cause of Christ. There's no greater power than the power of God. There's no greater love than the love of the, of, of the Lord. There's no greater uh, joy than seeing people's lives change. It's worthy of surrendering our lives again to him of being willing to share in season and out of season, as Paul the Apostle would encourage us. And if we um, may not, it, you know, it may not always be plain sailing. We might share a word here or there and it just gets you know, thrown back at us. That's fine. We just have to trust the Lord that the fruit will come at the appropriate place. There's a doctor in Tennessee. His name is Dr. Edwards. And he's a surgeon. He tells of a time some years ago when he had a patient whose husband was an alcoholic and he passed away. Her two children were giving her problems. Money was tight, and she was uh, finding life very, very difficult. And she wasn't a follower of Christ. She wasn't a Christian. He tried to share with her, but she was not interested. Well, one day this patient came to him, and he diagnosed, because she was not well at all, diagnosed that she was actually suffering from terminal cancer. And there's little he could do. Uh, she was quite bitter at this, and Dr. Edwards tried to talk to her about the Lord. She wasn't interested at all, but he was a member of the Gideon's Bible Society. So he actually gave her one of those small little Gideon Bibles that somebody would be familiar with, which she took, which was great. 
A few weeks later, the doctor was reading the newspaper and the death notices and saw her name there. She had passed away. And so he sent a card to the family saying that he had donated Bibles in her memory to the Gideon's Bible Society. Well, very shortly after that, the woman's daughter called him on the phone. And she said this, could you please send me Bibles, like the, or a Bible at least, like the one you donated to the Bible Society, uh, sorry, the Gideon Bible Society in memory of our mother. We don't have a Bible in our home. The last six weeks she was alive, her whole life changed. She was no longer bitter. She wasn't afraid to die. And she said something about knowing Jesus. But she asked that her Bible be buried in her hand so we couldn't keep it. Would you please send us a Bible so we can find out what Mama found in that book? Well, Dr. Edwards sent her a Bible, and he went on to say that it wasn't too long before the daughter and the son and the sister gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save all who believe. It changed lives. Let's again offer ourselves to the Lord to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece, willing to share with whoever the shoes of the gospel of peace would take us to so that others might hear the good news through us and therefore have opportunity to have their lives changed and eternity sealed forever with the Lord in heaven. Would you please stand with me as we pray? If you're comfortable this morning, you might like to lift your hands to heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we've got time in this place this morning to stand before your throne of grace with hearts lifted high and hands raised before your throne of grace, symbolic of the fact that we are yours and surrender. Lord, there's breath in our lungs today. There's the, the ability to be able to speak. And Lord, some of us may not be so confident in speaking, but Father, we thank you that as you fill us out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth does speak. And I would pray that you would fill each of us here this morning with your precious spirit, with a, a real desire, Lord, to be your mouthpiece, a real desire to go to the highways and the byways, a real desire to go to those that you are preparing to hear from us in Jesus' name. But Lord, you would touch our lips, take a coal, touch our lips, as Isaiah said, and said, send me, send me, send me. Lord, we stand here, we think we're just not worthy of it. But Father, we thank you that you could even use a donkey. You used Balaam's donkey. And if you can use a donkey, you can use me. And so Lord, I pray you'd give me the, for all of us, give us a sensitivity to know who to share with and when to share and what to say. But Father, we might be instrumental in proclaiming the good news. And then for those around us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name you'd help us to be able to bring about change in others' lives too as we might challenge one another, as we might spur one another onto faith, to love, to good deeds. In Jesus' name we commit ourselves to connection, we commit ourselves to your church, we commit ourselves to each other to be a part and parcel of all you're doing in amongst each of us, that we might be instrumental in helping us. Your word tells us as iron sharpens iron, as one brother or sister would sharpen another. And 
So Lord, we pray that you'd use us to be a blessing in someone else's life. That lives might change in Jesus' name. Amen.